Hello, and thank you for listening to the Mount Sinai Health Partners podcast. I'm Rob Field, CMO for Pop Health here at Mount Sinai. Um, and I have the great honor of being joined by Sabina, <laughs> our Vice President and Chief of Strategy for Behavioral Health. Um, so uh, Sabina has a, the, is tasked with the Herculean effort of leading our behavioral health strategy for the system. So it's a pretty big deal and appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thanks for having me. It's oh, great to be here. Of course. Um, so Sabina, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you landed here to do what you do. So I'm originally from New York. And I went to, let's see, where do I start? I always <laughs> knew I was going to be a doctor. I didn't know what kind of a doctor I was going to be. Uh-huh. Um, so I went from New York to Michigan for undergrad. Mm-hmm. And then I moved back to New York and got a master's of public health at Columbia. And then I decided to go to an even colder climate by going to SUNY Buffalo for, the, oh, for wow. medical school. Goodness gracious. Yes, it was It was a great experience, but it was very cold, but it's a great town. Between Michigan and Buffalo. Exactly. I know how to survive the snow. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you do. Um, and then, um, and it was in Buffalo where I figured out that I wanted to go into psychiatry. Interesting. And so I ended up actually at New Haven at Yale University, and I did my residency there mm-hmm. in psychiatry, and I actually stayed at Yale for quite some time thereafter. Um, where basically I was involved in a lot of residency and training, training-related stuff, but increasingly took on more responsibilities in clinical administration at the psychiatric hospital there. And my last position there was as the executive director of the mm-hmm. psychiatric hospital, um, which was primarily an inpatient-heavy um, service, but also some outpatient programs. And then for family reasons, I moved finally back to New York City, <laughs> And I joined Mount Sinai initially as the uh, vice chair for clinical affairs for mm-hmm. Mount Sinai Hospital okay. and Icon School of Medicine back in early 2013. Okay. And then somehow over the past couple of years, my sort of scope expanded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that now basically my role is to oversee all of the clinical services, um, all the cl- behavioral health clinical services mm-hmm. across the Mount Sinai health system. Yeah, which is... A huge deal. I mean, I wasn't really joking when I said before, it feels like a Herculean task in a place like New York and a system as large as Sinai. It's never dull. I was going to say, it's a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I have just one more personal question, if you don't mind. So, you know, psychiatry is hard. It almost feels like missionary work a lot of times. (laughs) Was there a moment in medical school or something that said, oh, this is for me? Do you remember what that it was? It was because for a long time I was questioning what whether I was even going to continue in medical school. Mm, I wasn't sure exactly what my place was in medicine because mm-hmm. I wasn't finding my calling. Yeah. And I it started with my psychiatry rotation in my third year clerkship. Mm-hmm. And basically I think within the first 2 weeks it was like this is it. This is this, it. Is, this is where I belong in medicine. Yeah. And so I was very fortunate to have found that, but I, I really had no plans for psychiatry until I did my clerkship. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's pretty unbelievable to have those aha moments right. for sure. Yeah, that's right. awesome. Um, so before we got started, we were, you know, talking a bit about, you know, what we were going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, I bet a lot of folks that are, that clicked on this podcast and um, are coming at it from the point of view of they're trying to solve problems with pop health. And as I mentioned, there is not a s- single conference meeting, et cetera, where people talk about big picture issues and challenges where mental health doesn't come, behavioral health doesn't come up. Um, how did we get in this hot mess? 
of <laughs> where, <laughs> you know, we have infrastructure for hypertension and heart failure. And then we look for what is our infrastructure as a nation or, you know, forget as a system um, around behavioral health. And it's it's just not good. Right. Uh, yeah. it, it isn't good. Although I think there are differences from even the time when, like, I was in medical school mm-hmm. and when I was in residency. I think overall, in my mind, I'm actually very hopeful because I do see literally an increasing, at least people are talking about sure. it before people weren't even talking about it. Right. Um, and that's part of the first step. But And I think there's many reasons why we're here, mm-hmm. you know, the way it is. Um, I think it has a lot to do, and it's not anyone's fault or blame, but it has a lot to do with the nature of the illnesses themselves, mm-hmm. um, the longstanding stigma. Uh, against against mental illness and substance use disorders, which that's also starting to slowly, mm-hmm. you know, we're tr- they're slowly making progress in that, although right. there's still a lot of stigma. Um, I think, for the lack of a better way of putting it, you know, psychiatry, there aren't, you know, we don't have clear procedures, there aren't lab values, mm-hmm. there isn't a physical exam, there isn't something concrete that we can often use. Mm-hmm. And in medicine, we like numbers, and yeah, tests yeah. Right. <laughs> and results, right. and we don't necessarily have that as much in psychiatry. Right. And then, if we think about the larger picture of how in 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 the U.S. the healthcare reimbursement system is fundamentally structured and modeled, it favors. It basically is designed more for procedural based mm-hmm. care. And when we're basically treating illnesses, and when our quote procedures don't inquire, require machines or tests, and yep. it's really using our mind and our, yep. our interactions, it, it's harder to quantify, yep. which in this method of, you know, of paying for care, we get, I, th- I believe we get to sort of basically downgraded. Yeah. And so I think I'm of it as... talking to a primary care doc, so yeah. I feel you. <laughs> exactly. You get it, right? You're in the same <laughs> I do, boat. I do. <laughs> and I think in, along those lines, in many ways, many of our behavioral health providers end up being a primary provider for mm-hmm. many of our services, for many of our patients. Um, it's just a different type. And I think we're often in the same boat where we're, we feel both compelled and need to do a lot for our patients. Mm-hmm. And yet the very the struggles of getting literally paid day to day um, is, is very challenging. Mm-hmm. And so this long history of things being segmented out both, I, I think it's not just because the larger healthcare system was set up that way. Mm-hmm. I think, to be quite honest, honest, to some degree, I think for a long time, many people in the field of psychiatry emphasize that we're different and emphasize that yeah, we're special. And I, I think every specialty is special. Every specialty right. is different. I think what we need to think about more in terms of like moving forward and getting out of this hot mess, so to speak, yeah. is to think a little bit more about so we're all different. Well, what can we do both together with mm-hmm. our other partners? And how can we sort of rethink what our procedures are? You know, how can we be more, you know, thinking along the same framework of the overall, you know, of the way that we treat illnesses is not just a special technique that we use mm-hmm. um, and make it more concrete? Because I do believe we can. Yeah. We, we've had in different contexts conversations a little bit about standards and how do we disseminate models of care out there and I, when I think about medical history and medical lore, like mm-hmm. historical lore, probably surgery yes. and psychiatry have two are two of the fields with the most sort of anecdote and bizarre histories about yes. them in terms of treatment. And yes. The <laughs> kinds of things we did to people, right. you know, really not that long ago in right. the grand scheme of things. Um, 
how do you think the the field is responding to that to get out of the era of lore and anecdote to to your point like standards and and processes that, right. that work I think in general our field overall is rapidly progressing away from I think the not too distant past mm-hmm. um, part of it I think is geographically based mm-hmm. and I think for example and I think in part especially in New York because there's such a heavy emphasis mm-hmm. on s- measure measurement and standards plus there's also um, a lot of focus on behavioral health period in, mm-hmm. in New York um, I think in New York we're actually quite ahead of the curve in many ways mm-hmm. I still think, though, at an individual provider level, there's still a lot of work that we need to do to sort of help people sort of put the concept into action. Because yeah, I think everyone right. wants to do the right thing, right, it's, but right. how do we do it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. So we, uh, with other folks on the podcast, but just in general in the industry, we talk about some of the things that we need the most uh, in pop health primary care nursing, um, you know, all sorts of other things, uh, uh, community health workers, all sorts of things that we need a lot of to serve the to scale, to serve the population we do not have enough of. Mm-hmm. Psychiatry falls in the same boat. We, we do not produce nearly enough psychiatrists to serve the, to ser- serve the need. Where are you, you know, when you think about the vision of what we need to do, even just within Sinai to serve the population we serve, how do you th- think about solving that problem? Right. Well, if I had that, I could retire, right? (laughs) No, (laughs) that's right. So I think our approach has been multifold. I think because we're very unusual for our uh, hospital system because we have such a huge clinical behavioral health um, service platform, not just in size, but in the types of services that we have. And so if we think about sort of who are the people that are coming to our services and what can we do to actually measure that we're getting the people who are coming to our services, that we're getting them in quickly, that we're assessing and treating them as quickly and as accurately as possible. And bottom line, how do we know that we're getting them better, basically? Mm -hmm. Because many psychiatric illnesses are manageable or curable, basically. And so if we think about sort of within the system of what we already have, it's making sure that we're hitting all access points, making sure that we're improving our access, our scheduling, our intakes, all of the usual things for any practice. Um, But then behind that, it's also then thinking about certain subpopulations and sort of in particular people with the most severe mental illnesses, particularly people with schizophrenia or other psychotic disorders or Mm -hmm. bipolar disorders. And then thinking about how much, how many additional illnesses often accompany those. So this is where we're talking more about the physical health conditions. Right. And so how do we better coordinate and work with and take care of those physical health conditions when so many of these patients, they don't necessarily go to a primary care physician. They feel uncomfortable going to one. Right. So part of those things is that we're doctors. Mm-hmm. We can measure certain things. We can run yeah. lab tests. Yeah. We should be able to at least do those things and help connect and engage people into yeah. primary care. Yeah. The other piece is then it's now starting to move outside of our behavioral health settings is now looking into other settings, specifically primary care, where there's a whole swath of people who have um, you know, 
anything from depression to anxiety to more severe illnesses? And how can we efficiently take care of people with those conditions um, in that sort of setting? And so that's where we've built up this integrated psychiatry platform across the system where we've got 18 different sites. And most of them are focused on depression and anxiety. Sure. But the beauty of having the R system is is that if there are people who are actually not getting better from the collaborative care type of services we're providing, yeah. we can refer them to our... A higher intensity. Re- exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So we can step people back down to their primary care provider. Mm-hmm. Um, so, those are, so those are two ways. The other larger way is to also then think about sort of levels of care mm-hmm. and to recognize that unlike some of the other medical specialties, all generally, you know, behavioral health services are primarily still predominantly inpatient level, emergency, or clinic, right, or sort of outpatient. And so we've been creating these high-intensity outpatient programs for people who need a higher level of service than just once a month, Mm -hmm. you know, psychiatrist visit, right? right? So those are things like partial hospitals, intensive outpatient programs, mobile crisis teams, mobile outreach teams. So really creating a continuum of care for people. Yeah. Do you, uh, you mentioned the integrated sites and we have 18 of them across the system. Um, what does that look like day to day? Are they, are they primary care practices with an embedded psychiatrist? And so they, and do they refer, how, I mean, how does that work? Right. Yeah, just functionally. Our approach has been, we can't do a one size fits all model. Okay. It's all dependent on that practice site. So it's a little bit different at the sites. Okay. So, for example, in our largest site, which is our Internal Medicine Associates um, mm-hmm. primary care practice at Mount Sinai Hospital, which is the largest, we actually... And it's a, for folks that don't know, it's a resident practice, heavy Medicaid that's right. and Medicare. That's right. So we actually have um, a very robust on-site, five-day-a-week pr- uh, service where wow. we have anywhere between 1 to 1.25 FTEs of psychiatrists, three social workers, and they're doing a whole sort of spectrum of integrated care from both collaborative care model to more intensive services for for that population if they need it. The other sites is primarily a collaborative care model. Um, And then the other place where we have more intense sort of more integrated services is in our uh, advanced Institute of Advanced Medicine, the primary care settings for our uh, for clients with HIV and AIDS. Um, And they have embedded. I mean, it's they're part of the whole team, psychiatrists and psychologists. And that's been in place for quite some time. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, The world in uh, primary care and uh, I, I guess many specialists uh, with varying degrees of effectiveness, I think, have been moving towards uh, developing metrics. Uh, and we get accused as the, in the pop health world of being the, the clicky boxy folks that makes everyone check their <laughs> metrics, which is, you know, probably unnecessary, but not the sexiest part of pop health. Um, but uh, how does that translate into the world of psychiatry? Do you does is the field feeling the same kinds of pressures in terms of clinical care metrics and what do those look like and um, you know how do you operationalize that? Right. I think so. Yes, I, I think particularly at Sinai because we've emphasized that heavily, mm-hmm. um, and so we follow certain metrics. Um, for example, like in the 
in, in the integrated care sites, we may follow the PHQ-9 yeah. results, et cetera, which all, as per all, the, they've shown steady declines with treatment, so that's great. Yeah. We also follow select HEDIS metrics. And so, for example, so for practices where we have a lot of people with chronic mental illnesses mm-hmm. and we know they have concurrent diabetes, et cetera, we follow the hemoglobin A1C, making sure that at least they're getting screened um, with for homo- hemoglo- measure the hemoglobin A1C measures, the urine protein, et cetera. Um, beyond that, we also, just to have our providers get into the practice of getting measured, quite yeah, frankly. Right, no, I, I, I'm with you. This is my reality for a chocolate we, we've developed across the system two or three metrics that for each division we okay. measure. And okay. it's a mixture of quality and utilization metrics. Mm-hmm. And so we have it for inpatient, outpatient, psychiatry, addictions, et cetera. And in several of our services, we actually have an outcome measure because that's a true mm-hmm. outcome measure. And we use something called a Sheehan Disability Scale, which okay. really sort of is a self-report by the yeah. patient. Um, so we're testing testing the grounds of just getting yeah. people, you know, what is it like to actually think about not just getting the measurement, but collecting it and then documenting yeah, it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a piece of the puzzle we're all trying to figure out and what's meaningful yeah. and not because, you, you know, you don't want to, you know, practice to the test sort of right. thing. Um, so uh, if you don't, so I apologize for the sort of potpourri nature of, of our conversation, but uh, and you mentioned earlier that at least one of the drivers for how we got to where we got to is the the financing issues uh, in mental health. Um, do you see that changing as well? So, uh, you know, I know, for example, when it, in many states, because they're on often on the hook at some level for Medicaid, there's varying levels of good and bad uh, statewide structures for and infrastructure for mental health. But right. at least in theory, there is something in many states because they're on the hook financially. Um, you know, we can talk about how much there is for Medicare and the commercials, but do you see the payers, the other funders step up in a similar way? And is that changing or not yet? Um, I think many in the Medicaid space, I think they've been made to step up. Right. I think some are more in it than others. Yeah. Um, I think select payers in the commercial space are certainly interested and there's discussions with them. Um I think the challenge for people and for for us providers and in behavioral health and sort of, I guess, how do we sort of see ourselves within this, you know, value-based payment world Mm -hmm. is is that I think many people have talked about that in VBP, behavioral health will really get credit, right? And it's really important that you work on behavioral health conditions. I think, quite frankly, what behavioral health providers often struggle with is not just the processes, but how exactly are, are the behavioral health providers going to get financial credit, basically? Mm-hmm. Um, and in part, it has to do with the mechanics of claims. And there was still a behavioral health claims are separated out. Yeah. Substance use claims are yeah. separated out. So even when the mechanics are hard, and then you start to think about, well, if really if we're decreasing costs, the real costs are in the physical health space, mm-hmm. right? And so if we help decrease that down, how are we going to get yeah, credit for yeah, that? Yeah, that's totally fair. Right. <laughs> and so that's something that I think people just in good faith, like in the providers in my service, I think we're doing it because it's the right thing. Right because thing sure. in a VBP world, it's really you're going to get credit for if you take better care of your mm-hmm. patients. Um, I think the challenge is figuring out how concretely that that will 
fi- really financially value mm-hmm. behavioral health providers. Yeah, that's totally fair. I, th- I think that, I mean, that's a, interestingly, uh, <laughs> it's a question that every single specialty asks the yes. same thing. Um, you know, even those that have benefited from fee-for-service right. ask that question right. from a different angle, of course. Yeah. We've been benefiting this way. What's in this model? What's in it for me in this new model? The primary care docs have said similar things to what you have said, although in most ACOs that I know, at least there's an attempt on the primary care side and mm-hmm. less of an attempt, you know, on frankly, on the behavioral health side to figure out, wow, these are things that weren't really incentivized before, but we need to incentivize it in value-based care because it is so important right. and such a huge driver. Right. I, I think it's a fair challenge for all of us trying to figure this out that um, not only to be aware, but to do something about right. it, you know, if we're going to tip the scales in a different way than right. from, histo- from right. historical. That's totally fair. Um, the One of the things I wanted to ask you about also is um, it, we get hit on the pop health side from dozens of vendors um, coming at us with all sorts of wonderful solutions for how they're going to solve all of our population health problems, whether it's analytics or care management or some new platform, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the big ones, it it feels like to me anyway, you would know better than I would, and growth is on the the tech side of mental health Um, and all sorts of flavors from patient-directed uh, apps uh, to remote therapy to you know telepsychiatry all this stuff. What's your thought? Like, is there a place for it? Um, and you know, how do you measure quality in that in that world? Because when it's so separated, right? Uh, so I think you know one of the concerns I have is your, your point, your question exactly. How how do you measure quality? But bef- before getting to that, or even putting that aside. I definitely do think there's a place for tech. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not exactly sure, and I'm not sure it's any particular type of technology is going to work for all different types of you know conditions or for all different people. But that's that's the same whether it's psychiatry or not. I, I think that um, telepsychiatry is something, or telehealth is certainly something that is uh, worth pursuing and, mm-hmm. and assertively, although there are limitations to mm-hmm. that as well, and I don't think it can necessarily work for all people. Mm-hmm. I think what it helps is that it gives yet another option when there are such huge access issues mm-hmm. and workforce issues in our field that it represents another and more convenient option, and particularly because there is still the stigma issue that peop- having things like telepsychiatry or an app can be helpful. I, I think Part of my, and I'm a little bit on the sort of, I would, for lack of a better way of putting old-fashioned side uh, of sort of thinking about this, is that I think inherently as part of the treatment in psychiatry, it's part of that human interaction that mm-hmm. you have between the, the therapist or the provider and, and the patient. And it's, it's that in and of itself that's almost the treatment. And so that human engagement and interaction, which we can't bottle, which we can't quantify, is such a huge component of when and how people get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and to some degree, I, I, so I don't think tech can replace that. Even telepsych, I think, to a certain extent, yeah, really can't right? do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think using it as like a an adjunct or sup- or like a supplement or used as a tool together with the patient, mm-hmm. I think that can be very helpful. 
but to use it just in place of a provider unless, you know, and there are some places in the country that have like literally one psychiatrist in the state. That's a different situation. But I think it has a role, but I, I don't think it can be, it's not like the answer to the issue of, you know, what the mental health crisis or the substance use crisis. Yeah, yeah. no, that's, that makes a ton of sense. Before we go, um, I was wondering if there's anything you want to share about current projects you're working on or just finished uh, anything you wanted to share about the stuff that you're excited about here? oh let's see we're doing so many oh, yeah, I know you're doing a lot of stuff so <laughs> I think we probably only have time for one but <laughs> yeah no so I think I mean bottom line is that I think we really sort of expanded our scope and our sort of content and our processes of care in our outpatient practices um, and for people who may not realize that our practices, we serve the whole swath of people. We don't mm-hmm. just serve people with chronic mental illness. Most of our patients are coming in for depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, I've already mentioned a lot of the sort of high-intensity yeah. services yeah. we're creating. And so I think our goal overall is to create these new types of services. And, of course, I can't forget to mention our whole new comprehensive behavioral health center. It'll yeah. be in downtown in yeah, 2022, yeah. which is really a completely different model of care. Um, where we'll have a one-stop shop, essentially, for all levels of behavioral health services that I don't think exists anywhere else in the country. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, we'll have to come back. (laughs) That's exciting. We'll have to do, like, some sort of, you know, video, some vlog or something about it. Some pictures, yeah. Yeah. uh, I'm only perfectly familiar with that project, and it sounds kind of amazing, so I'm excited for you. It's going to be fun. Thank you. Thank you. Well, all I can say is thank you for your work and congratulations. And uh, we certainly look forward to working a bunch with you in the in the coming months and years. So thank you for your time. That's great. Thanks so much. Awesome. Uh, and if folks listening have uh, questions, concerns, or ideas for a future podcast, please email me at robert.fields at mountsinai.org. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.